and welcome to the Spin Up Science podcast, where we explore the interface of science and startups and share the journeys of scientists turning their discoveries into companies. I'm Ben, a scientist and CEO, and welcome to today's episode. The Fountain of Youth has always been an idea that fascinated us as a species. It's infiltrated our popular culture and driven our industries from supplements and shakes to skincare and Botox. Even Indiana Jones has searched for the Holy Grail, which, as it turns out, came out the same year that Botox was invented. Maybe that's not a coincidence. Today, I'm talking to Professor Lorna Harries, Professor of Molecular Genetics from the University of Exeter, whose work on reprogramming cells to make old cells young again reverses the signs of disease associated with aging. Basically, we have uncovered a new mechanism by which cells age. You know, the claim that we can rejuvenate cells, it's so out there that it took a long time for us to actually convince people that, hey, actually, we we do know what we're doing. This isn't completely mad, and we have got the data to support our claim. Lorna's work comes from an insight into a cellular mechanism that allows her and her team to target and rejuvenate cells that have gone into cellular arrest or senescence, where cells stop reproducing because they've become damaged. So as as we age, we accumulate these cells in all of our tissues and our organs, which are called senescent cells. And these senescent cells are one of the things that drive not only the aging process, but also age related diseases. So ageing itself isn't a problem, but obviously age-related disease is a big problem. And age-related diseases are responsible for the vast majority of our NHS um, expenditure. If we could cure the diseases of ageing tomorrow, we would save somewhere in the region of $4 trillion by 2060. Yeah, you know, it's obviously a big, a big thing for the NHS. It's also a big thing for the, for the general public. Everybody's got, you know, elderly relatives. So if we can sort out age-related disease, we will be doing a very good job. Lorna is planning to do exactly that. Her team's work has recently been spun out of the University of Exeter to form a new company, Sinisca Limited, with the aim to bring these discoveries into the public domain and start to target diseases associated with aging that are caused by these senescent cells. So what Sinisca is doing is we've uncovered the kind of the master control genes that control this process. And we can target them so that we can now use oligonucleotide therapies to restore their expression back to where it would be in young cells. The industrial side of things came about um, because we published a paper and I came in on the Monday morning and I'd had a whole load of emails from people who were basically saying, have you thought about commercialising this? And I really hadn't. And I had absolutely no idea what to do with it. So it's been a real learning curve. So as I say, we, 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 we were not thinking about commercialization at all but actually in retrospect in hindsight if you look at it having something which can cause cells to regenerate is obviously going to be commercially very viable but we we really I, I really wasn't thinking that way and it wasn't until we had some approaches from potential investors that I thought oh, we have a real possibility here to turn some of our research into something tangible so most academics, you you know, you do your research, you produce, you write it up, it gets published, you go and talk about it, and pe- other academics read it, and sooner or later your research, no matter how groundbreaking, will end up as a PDF in somebody's folder. <laughs> this, I think here, we have an opportunity to take our work and actually translate it and have a, a really good chance of having it turned into something which is going to be a therapeutic in use in the clinic, which will help people. Sinisca is starting up at a really interesting time for these sorts of RNA therapy companies, which only until very recently have started to come to the forefront with examples like the Pfizer-BioNTech and Moderna vaccines for COVID-19. We didn't make a conscious decision to, to, to do this now. There's never a perfect time to do these things. On the scientific side, this is where we were, you know, so 
I'm not going to sit back and let someone else commercialize this. We're going to commercialize it. So that from that perspective, it's practical. Um, secondly, in our current um, our current situation, I don't think there's ever been a better time to start an RNA therapeutics company. You look at what's going on with the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, and the, you know it's obviously RNA-based. It's brought RNA biology and, and the potential of RNA to the forefront. It's always been a little bit of the kind of the poor cousin of DNA. Now people are actually seeing us as a major player in our own right. Senescence drives many of the problems from aging, anything from wrinkles to neurodegenerative diseases. So where does a company like Senisca start to apply their discovery? So that was a really difficult decision was, you know, what do we start with? Because I obviously would love to go after things like dementia, but obviously that's, um, you've got things like the blood brain barrier, which is a bit of a, a problem. So we've chosen a couple of indications. We have, we have two basic strands. We have a skin aging strand. Um, which was born about basically because we were approached by a, a big cosmetics corporate um, who want to work with us to develop this. And then the other one is a, a more sort of pharmaceutical arm, which is looking at a condition called idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. So this is a, a catastrophic fibrosing condition of the lung that there's no cure for, and it's driven by senescence. So we're um, we're looking at that first. We're starting with things that you organ systems that you can get at from the outside. So lung, eye, joint. Um, so we're looking at IPF, but we're also looking at osteoarthritis, which is a huge problem, huge public health problem. And we're also looking at age related uh, dry macular degeneration. And we've chosen those because it means we don't have to deliver our treatment systemically. We can do a local treatment. So for the skin, obviously, it's, it's topical or injected. For the eye and the joint, it'll be injected. For the lung, it will be inhaled. And these are all delivery mechanisms that patients and clinicians are quite happy with. So they're sort of the de delivery methods that current therapeutics are being used to you know to, to get current therapeutics into cells so uh, that's what we're starting with but we've got big plans we're starting small but we're going to grow part of the challenge of these new rna companies is actually understanding how to translate them into the marketplace one very real challenge is the uh, the regulatory framework for getting new drugs approved is very well trodden for, for chemicals and, and compounds and small molecules for biologics not so much so the um the regulatory landscape is a little bit opaque in terms of what we need to do and what we need to show to get our new therapeutics approved. So we're working currently with Medicines Discovery Catapult to actually work out what that regulatory package would look like and what the experiments and the, the, the data sets that we need to actually get it through to a phase one trial, what we need for that. We're working on that at the moment. Actually, for, for a company in our space, we are really early. So most people, when they're going out, they're looking for funding. Um, have got at least their therapeutic they've got they've got their therapeutic designs and in vivo actually most of them we haven't yet we are still you know doing that i think we have some we've got some creative challenges in how we get our interventions where we need to get them historically oligonucleotides have been quite difficult for that to happen but i think we will be will be helped by the fact there've been a lot of developments in things like the biology of oligonucleotides new backbones new ways of getting them into cells that will really help us it's still early days for Sinisca, and they're faced by a lot of the challenges that many new deep technology companies face, where the regulatory framework, the underlying science still require a lot of development to make all the pieces of the puzzle come together. But Sinisca are off to a really strong start so far. We, we spun out officially in uh, January, I think it was, but I've been working towards this since about 2017. And there have been a lot of highs and lows in that time. But that moment where we actually closed the seed round, we got the signatures 
on our uh, you know our shareholders agreements and everything and it all was official and the money started to land in the bank and we'd oversubscribed our seed round we ended up with about 1.3 million for the next year and we've also got a lot of warm leads for the next round of investments so people who thought we were a little bit early at first but actually they're interested in keeping an eye on us um i wasn't expecting that you know i'm used to academic funding where you put your grant in and um you either get it or you don't um this is very different it, there's a lot more interaction there's a lot more selling what you're doing and you know and kind of keeping um and, and getting people enthused about what you're doing um so that again that, that's been quite different so to have people actually coming to us to say we're really interested in what you're doing let's talk about you know funding opportunities in the future has been really refreshing actually i asked lorna a bit about what it was in her career that kind of set her on this pathway <laughs> my team has been a bit unusual in that most most teams have a, a very clear focus on a disease um or a process um we are we're mechanists, so we're quite generalist in that. I'm interested in everything between DNA and protein and how that might be applied. Um, and my career has taken quite a lot of twists and turns to get me where I am. Um, not least that I had six years out raising a family, actually, and I gave up science completely. And I came back in as a technician and worked my way back up because I think it's really important for people to realise that there are many paths to um, into academia. There are many other paths which are allied to academia, you know, industry being one of them. And that having, having a life outside of your work is a good thing and not a bad thing. And that it's possible, particularly for young women, actually. You know, if you look at the rates of attrition of, of women in higher, higher in industry and in higher positions in academia, it's a bit a bit sad really that we lose a lot of talent because they take time out to go and um, and to have families or to do other things and I think I'm very I'm very aware that I've been quite lucky but I'm also aware that, that, that I think the defining characteristic of someone who actually succeeds in academia particularly and I think it's probably true for industry is tenacity it's the not being told no for an answer it's the hanging on by your fingernails and go and just keeping on keeping on really. Um, and I wasn't going to be told that this was not for me. So I was going to be creative about it and find ways of doing it. As a junior, um, as a relatively junior researcher, you're often on a short term contract. So you're upping sticks and moving around the country and re uprooting your life every three years, which is really not conducive to, you know, putting down roots and actually having a feeling of belonging in a, in a community. It's it's really difficult. And it's doubly hard if there are two of you doing that. If both of you, you know, if, you, if your significant other is also doing that, that makes things really difficult. To a certain extent, it's it's about, as I say, it's about just putting yourself out there, looking for those opportunities and recognising them. I was lucky and I, I turned up at Exeter in 2000 or thereabouts um, and took a postdoc with uh, Sean Ellard and Andrew Hattersley, who were amazingly supportive and, you know, let me kind of try my own sort of try my own ideas out as well as doing what I, they, were, they were paying me for, which, you know, you need a supportive group head, someone who's behind you. And, and I think, that's an ethos I've tried to engender in my own team now, that it's not just about getting the research out there. It's actually about growing people as researchers and, you know, and as and as people and giving them opportunities and paying it forward a bit. And if you'd said to me 10 years ago, you will be you will have spun out a company, you'll be CSO of said company, you'll be developing new therapeutics for age related diseases. I would have laughed at you. I asked Lorna, what would her words of advice be to those that were looking to follow a similar career trajectory to her? To have a little bit of faith in your ideas, 
to um, to listen to the advice that you're given, to find yourself a good mentor. That makes all the difference to have someone with more experience who's been around the block a bit on your side, helping you navigate these waters, which are sometimes a little bit shark infested. Um, that can be a real help. I think to to recognize the potential of what you're doing. I mean, that's a wonderful thing for me to say in hindsight, because I absolutely didn't. But I think if you're thinking about that from the very start and every time every time you have a you know a paper out have a look at it and, and look at it with a different set of eyes and to think about what is it in here how do i how do i get this where it needs to be and to put yourself out there and talk to people we're excited to see how lorna and Siniska's work continues to develop and hopefully one day soon we'll look forward to growing old thank you for listening to this conversation with professor lorna harris cso at Siniska limited I'm Ben Miles, and you've been listening to a podcast by Spin Up Science. See you next time.